Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're chatting about the lo-fi horror of Murder House, developed by the one-man lo-fi horror studio, Puppet Combo, a.k.a. Ben Kakuza. In Murder House, the player takes on the role of Emma, an intern for a basic cable news station reporting live on location from the home of notorious child serial killer, the Easter Ripper. Though the Ripper has supposedly long since been executed, many have claimed that his childhood home is haunted, something that Emma and the rest of the crew are about to learn firsthand. And joining Neil and I this week to talk Murder House and Puppet Combo's unique approach to horror is video game editor of Rue Morgue Magazine, Evan Miller. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I'm highly caffeinated. I'm ready to talk some, uh, <laughs> some Murder House. Well, we're very much uh, looking forward to picking your brain on Murder House and uh, indie horror in general. Wicked. Let's do it. So I think the only place to start is your first introduction to uh, Puppet Combo's games. Yeah, so... Um, you know, as embarrassing as it is, I try. Well, let me let me say, I try to immerse myself in as much um, in the goings on of indie horror as I possibly can. I actually came to Puppet Combo kind of late, um, and the way that I initially found his stuff was that uh, Liam, or uh, games by Lum, he goes as a developer name, uh, is a, a Canadian indie horror game developer here. I think out of uh, Guelph and uh, not that far from me actually. So uh, he reached out an email and said, Hey, um, you know, I have this uh, game coming out. It's called Paranoia Hell. Uh, would you guys, you know, here's a key if you're interested in checking it out. Uh, I looked at that. I said, Oh wow, this looks cool. Uh, played that, thought it was incredible. Uh, super, super disturbing. He's got this style that, um, is like very simplistic and almost cartoony. I hope he wouldn't take offense to that, me saying that, but, and then he's got this just Lynchian kind of um, otherworldliness to, to his, his games. So uh, he was, is a collaborator um, with Ben. And uh, I think Lum actually handled the uh, recent, Nintendo Switch port of Murder House and um, mm. mobile port of Nun Massacre. So <laughs> I kind of start, yeah, I started uh, looking into things um, that he had done. And then I, you know, came across the Holy Grail that is <laughs> this puppet combo. And I just played catch up. Um, mm. I checked out some of his Patreon, Patreon exclusive games. Uh, and just basically last summer was like the the summer of puppet combo for me. I just couldn't, <laughs> I ended up reaching out to him, uh, to do an, a cover story for one of our issues. And he was kind enough to, uh, to make time in his schedule. This was just before kind of just before, uh, murder house was done. I interviewed him and then the interview, I think dropped just, just after he, he had finally released it or just before. So he was very busy <laughs> with, <laughs> you know, uh, his his stuff was is you know yeah very very small and very you know a lot of passion goes into it so murder house is like very um i think significant in his body work because not i know we'll get into it later but just you know it's such a rounded full um experience whereas everything else that i had played from him was kind of bite-sized and and kind of like 
stuff he's doing with his with his publishing label torture star video just kind of smaller um encapsulated uh games so that's how i got into a short short story <laughs> well no <laughs> no uh, no hard feelings about when you came to it because murder house is my first uh, experience with these games just because currently i'm my gaming PC hasn't been in uh, in operation for quite a while, and it coming to console was the most accessible way for me to get to experience it. And it's one of those things where it's probably the, maybe I was going to say a rare example of how to be introduced to his work, but in reality, like, this is a significant way for a lot of people that aren't maybe as engrossed in the indie horror space as maybe the three of us are to really get to go out there and be like, well, this poster looks wild. This looks like some of the sort of uh, 80s slasher films that I was a fan of back in the day based off of just the cover art and whatnot being very uh, influenced and reminiscent of that. And then getting to experience this game that like you said, and I think it was perfectly put, it feels like a very well-rounded experience. And even though it's my first introduction to his games, at the same time, it does feel more significant than being a bite-sized adventure, if you will. And I think that some maybe are like, well, it's only two or two and a half hours long. But I think that that's even more so a testament to how well-rounded it is in that in that two or two and a half hours that I spent with it, it felt very satisfying, like a full-fledged horror experience in a way that I don't think a lot of the sort of mainstream stuff that I've been playing that could be 10 or 15 hours long have necessarily hit a lot of those same beats. But uh, Neil, how about you? What was your first introduction to Puppet Combo? Um, I mean, I'd heard of him through, um, I think it was 98D Make, who made September 99, uh, another short indie horror game. Um, I remember seeing the games about here and there, but I didn't actually get around to playing one for a while because, again, like you, I, my PC wasn't really up to much. It wasn't until I to indulge and decide to get a decent PC at the end of 2018 that I could really sort of try things a bit more myself and funny enough uh, he did indeed come to us with the, the glass staircase um, and that ended up being my first one and I think it was a very good starting point for me I think because that of all his games uh, has this very fulci sort of vibe to it and as I've discussed with you before Jay you know I love Fulci's vibe so it's very much <laughs> to have that in a game form uh, really works for me and I think with games like that and games like we're going to discuss with Murder House the length of them and the inspiration behind them being you know, sort of tied into the idea as they are just like evoking a sort of grimy horror movies of that sort of 70s 80s era um, like the, they are really less survival horror, more that you know they are just short, sharp bursts that really get everything they need to do in. They build up well. They have a nice payoff. It's structured very much like a film, but yeah, it's and I think that's a really difficult thing to do, you know. And it does. He's done it so well with the, those sort of games. Yeah, I would say that as coming to it for the first time, it felt very much like a movie, which I is something that I don't associate with a lot of horror games that I play, right? It's very much experiences that have certain similarities and you can clearly see influences between the two of them, whether it be from things that are in games that end up in movies or vice versa. But with Murder House, it felt very methodically constructed 
And not to say that other horror games, uh, whether they be AAA or indie, are not methodically constructed, but it just felt like it was paced like a movie in a way that I haven't necessarily experienced in a lot of uh, horror games, right? I think that a lot of them, they begin with the, maybe I'll put it this way, like Murder House has the prologue and then there's the main experience, right? And that prologue feels like a prologue from a horror movie yeah. in a way that I don't experience with a lot of games in that you're introduced to the killer basically right up front. You have this moment where you don't get to see it, but inevitably the person is killed and whatnot by the murderer. You get to be exposed to them for the first time. And then it almost like dials it back a minute where it gives yeah. you a beat to kind of catch your breath. You're introduced to a new cast of characters and you go and you investigate the house. And then of course we know how that goes and we'll get into it. But um, I guess right from the jump, Evan, for you, what is one of the qualities of those puppet combo games, whether it be Murder House or his other games, that makes it a true standout from sort of other indie horror titles that uh, have attempted similar things and have had uh, varying degrees of success? Yeah, well, I think you um, when when you talk about how it conveys the feeling of, of, of film uh, and a good one at that, I think you hit it right on the head, like um, the that how like like let's just give it up for that prologue of murder yeah. house it's incredible yeah. like it's one of my favorite um sequences in any game ever when there's are we are we doing we can do spoilers right yeah absolutely okay. we're gonna talk all manner of spoilers yeah right so on. from this point on spoilers are for you so <laughs> yeah. if you if you want to you know go and know nothing and go play murder house yeah, take the take the evening or afternoon, whatever you got to do. Make those calls, do it, come back. Okay, here we. Go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's that it's it's everything. I mean, it's the you know on Twitter especially you see this kind of discussion and discourse about VHS filter on in indie horror, and it's kind of like proliferation and some people are like oh you know this doesn't make it scary i think with puppet combo uh specifically it's it's not really about that it, like it's definitely present in everything and up front and very much like a conscious choice um i i believe but you can turn it off you know you, you don't have to play with it um but i think yeah the just the attention to presentation across all everything right from the opening moments of a puppet combo game. And that's been there for maybe Neil can, um, can clarify, uh, I, I, at least from like the glass staircase days, probably, I, I don't exactly know, maybe even the power drill master days of that intro, yeah. that, that like fuzzy, the, the audio that comes with the puppet combo intro. And it's like, just gets you right there if you you know if you're into that kind of um late night like watching a beat up vhs type yeah. you know feeling that a lot of us um you know grew up with so uh and and when i interviewed ben uh i i asked you know how how important is that and he said it's very important to him and, and that's like something that um he's very um you know thoughtful about and trying to make kind of like a you know a, a brand uh and and then you know with torture star video um he's continued to do that and it's uh it's it's something special i think like it's that attention to um cohesiveness in in a full you know 
uh, library of someone's games is is unique, especially in the um, in the independent gaming world. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think bring that up about Torchstar. It well, the games on that again follow that idea that ethos of what the game should be like. I mean, one of my favorite games this year is from that label, which is Bloodwash. which in itself is almost meta in the sense that there's that little TV in the laundromat where it's just playing like these old trailers with real ones and not real ones of these horror movies and it just it hits that vibe again perfectly and it just and again just that game very much structured in that sort of sense of a couple of hours only an hour in fact but it's it took me longer because just I've loved going around that laundromat this whole idea of being in this late night laundromat and it slowly getting to this point where what the fuck's going on it was yeah. but uh, yeah so games like that games like that Search Party and the Enigma Salazar House I think was very good and got around to that one but yeah it's nice to see that it's branched out and has other people sort of experimenting with the poor ideas you sort of come up with and I think that's really interesting too. Like um, Jordan King, uh, Black Eyed Priest Games, um, also did a Patreon game, I believe, for uh, the Puppet Combo Patreon called Ski Freak, right? Which mm-hmm. is just like it takes Ski Freak and just says, okay, let's make it even more of a horror game that honestly, than it already actually is. It's kind of a horror <laughs> game. So, uh, and then so that's like the ad, yeah, like you mentioned on the, on the, tv or, or the radio that's playing i can't remember but uh you, you know it's it's ski freak so it's like this entire encapsulated kind of world um that is like i mean jay you mentioned Fulci earlier and it's like all his movies just have that vibe where it's like you know um it's, it's like, it's on, like yeah. yeah yeah so <laughs> and, and i think if, if I'm not mistaken, that's the first 3D game, Bloodwash, that, that Jordan King did. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's awesome. So it is, it's, it's just super scuzzy in the right way as well. Yes. Well, I think that as somebody that just experienced their first puppet combo game and getting to play Murder House, like from the opening moments, like you had said, I mean, before you even press play on the prologue, right? I mean, the first thing it says on screen is like, please adjust tracking for best picture quality, which I think right out the gate is really the first, it seems minor, but then like when I I played it over two or three sittings, just because my week has been so crazy. But every time I saw that, all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm back in and prepared for an experience that feels very authentic, even if it is reminiscent of 70s and 80s when I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't around, but it still feels like it's replicating that aesthetic early on in a way that feels very involving in a way that I think, again, it's my first experience with one of his games, but it feels like he is evoking an aesthetic that he was actually there for, Mm. right? And I think that a lot of, something that Neil and I have come back to a lot is talking about certain indie horror games or horror games in general that maybe latch on to certain whether it be gameplay or aesthetical sort of fads or things that are working for other uh, games and whatnot that are finding popularity whether it be through just being on something like steam or it becomes popular on twitch or something like that and then you see this whole crop of games pop up around it that look like it maybe but they don't necessarily do the same job of getting you ingrained into the world as well as whatever the clear inspiration was for those 
But with Murder House, I think that it just feels reminiscent in almost every single aspect of it, whether it be the aesthetical look or the gameplay, that this feels like somebody that understands this period that they're trying to evoke in a way that is apparent right from the jump. It doesn't feel like he's doing an impression or he's trying to latch on to something that right now is like hot in games or whatever. And it just feels, and I mean, to go from just that opening presentation from a visual perspective, but then seeing his understanding of, especially in the case of Murder House, like survival horror games from that era of the 90s, right? Something like Resident Evil and whatnot. And having this weird 70s and 80s visual blending with gameplay very evocative of the 90s or something like that just makes for this wonderful blending of both visually and, uh, well, I guess you get into some pretty disturbing subject matter, but as visually pleasing as a game about a, uh, a, a serial killer that the child serial killer dressed as a rabbit could be. But uh, I guess also something that you mentioned is sort of just that scuzzy PS1, PS2 era of horror games and how much really goes into that in terms of it not just being like, yeah, it's lo-fi horror, like I said at the top of the episode, but it doesn't feel like he is simply resting on that, which, again, like, even though, again, we talked about the gameplay feels like it is uh, evoking 90s sensibilities in a lot of ways, I guess I wouldn't say that it feels fresh, but it feels like it is the most refined that gameplay from that era could feel like, if that makes sense. I think... The key thing to it is that it taps into that the weird surreal quality that that era had, where nothing quite looks right when you go back to it. It's like it's the reason you know Rockstar have to remake the GTA games and remaster them like that because yeah, you know, it's just weird. But before that, even when you go back to that sort of mid nineties sort of point where people were still trying to get used to the idea of doing three D graphics and stuff, and you'd have these faces basically smeared over oblongs and <laughs> and uh, and like you know the textures like warp and tear and like on wall i mean and it, you notice it a lot in murder house that you'll go up to a wall and like the texture will just start stretching out like and it, it yeah. really adds something and it's you know you could easily say oh well, that's lazy why didn't they make that right 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 because it's not just about the aesthetic it's about recreating everything that made that so weird and trippy you know and i think that's perfect for what it is you know it, it's it does yeah. feel like weird mash up this lost thing that shouldn't really exist it's a movie and a game but it's also neither of the things it's trying to be and that when you say about the lynch style of it that's where it really comes into it it's a thing that shouldn't really exist it's unpleasant and in a way that you can't quite grab and then it, it you get it and then suddenly it's like okay yeah this this makes proper sense why this is all like this yeah and that's another thing that like is I think just incredible about um, his stuff which is like the this I mean yes okay there's a there's a serial killer that dresses as an Easter bunny and kills children yes uh, that's you know that's wild but a lot of and maybe the glass staircase is like an exception to this but a lot of the settings just the environments it's it's like blood wash right it's this very mundane kind of i hate to use a buzzword but like liminal space type thing where it's like okay this is just a house this is just a laundromat this is just um you know like the night ripper you're just running through like new york streets it's like these 
or, or even um, the prologue to stay out of the house night shift where you're just a clerk working at a convenience store. Like it's, it's brilliant because it's not this, you know, I love, I, don't get me wrong. Like I love uh, dino crisis, but yeah, you're not in space fighting dinosaurs that just kind of like, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you can, you can almost imagine yourself in these uh, scenarios and it's just, it, it Nothing about the, um, like you you guys were saying about the blending of kind of these like elements from different uh, decades coming together and, and film and, and gaming. Uh, nothing seems like put on, nothing seems disingenuous. It just, it just comes across as, and it's, well, it's like informative, I think. Like Jay, I think you were, you were talking about, and you guys, uh, the show last week you were saying like intro to horror games um you know these games are perfect for streaming and uh a lot of i imagine a lot of the people watching these uh being played on stream weren't alive for this kind of yeah well know. ironically of course this is a game that features a streamer in its prologue because jack yeah. jack Ketter guy is uh right. the cleaner in that in his little cameo so it's like it direct cause and effective you know the relationship that was caused from that, you know, because streamers find these sort of games, and there you go. It, it, but um, it's at least in this case something that's a bit a bit more substance, if you will, you know, in, in terms of uh, direction and ideas than, than most sort of like uh, you know streamer sort of horror that you might get. You know, it has that jump scare element mm. to it. Like, you know, it's like. It's like the cheap, you know, quote unquote cheap jump scares and, and just the, you know, vol- like Nun Massacre, the volume of the Nun, you know, <laughs> jack to like 11, like just piercing your eardrums. You know, it's these, t- it's these stuff, but that's the whole, that goes into the whole, you know, grindhouse kind of vibe where it's just like it knows what it is. You know, it's not trying to be high art. It's not an A24 elevated horror movie where everything, <laughs> whatever, the, you know, the kids are saying these days. Uh, yeah, so it's just that's all. That's all I wanted to say. It's just like he plays with these, these like quote unquote cheesy or cliche elements and just kind of owns it and just goes nuts with it. And I think that's um, one of my favorite things. Well, I, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to uh, I want to build off of, but I want to first uh, build off of you mentioning sort of just his self-aware nature, and I think that that really does permeate throughout the entire package of Murder House in a way that. It feels like somebody that is using all these different tools from different eras and whatnot in a way that is knowledgeable of how to actually use them and is self-aware of it and is not taking it super seriously. It's not super polished. So why wouldn't he lean into some of the more extreme versions of Grindhouse, right? I mean, sort of whether it be the ways in which the Easter Ripper kills people where he not only kills them, but then he lops off their arms and saws off their heads with a scythe and all these very aggressive and over-the-top gory things that there's nothing clean about any aspect of this game. It is very much a scuzzy game through and through in a way that, again, doesn't feel disingenuous. It feels like it is a natural byproduct of like this world that he's made. And something that you had mentioned that I wanted to build off of was the sort of uh, liminal spaces, right? These sort of, it's a laundromat, it's a house. But I found that with Murder House, he was able to to put a certain sense of history into the house that it doesn't feel like this is just basically what 
boils down to like a cell, right? Four walls and a roof that you're trapped in. It feels like this is a place that's been lived in from whether it be just like describing all of the, um, the washing machines or the refrigerators as being disgusting and gross or whether it be just like the few little notes you find of past victims and whatnot. And there isn't a great deal of uh, sort of the notes that you can find. There's probably five or less, but I found that each of them is so key in getting across the sort of just the terror and the reality of what has been occurring here for all of these years. And you get that sense from just like the layout of the house sometimes where in one of the puzzles you like you can see a shiny object and just a hole in the floor. And it's like, why is there just a hole in the floor here? And then, of course, that hole leads into like finding a key and whatnot. But I just love how there's so many little nuances to the house that, again, it's not outside of something that you've seen in countless horror games. Like, oh, there's a hole in this wall that you can climb through to get to a locked room or something. But it just feels like he has lots of these little moments that give so much texture to a house that by all accounts is very lo-fi textures uh, but it just has a sort of richness to it that I think complements that overall just scuzzy gross feeling that you have it feels very reminiscent of like the first time you watch a, it doesn't matter what era the first time you watch a horror movie that is let's just say far more extreme than what you usually watch mm. and you kind of are like looking over your shoulder you don't want you want to make sure nobody's watching you because you don't know what they would think about you if you're watching this horrific stuff occurring on screen but I found that to be a quality that I very rarely associate with games. It's something that I've always associated with movies. And to have that experience with a game is just, I mean, for me, is pretty remarkable. And it's, it's interesting. It feels, you know, it feels retro, but informed by uh, modern, you know, game design. Like the, for instance, like, I mean, uh, Resident Evil aside, because those environments are incredible and they're pre-rendered, you know, backgrounds and it's, you know it's it's kind of unique but uh you know you think like neil was saying about the stretched low poly like faces of the early 3d 3d days like you know yeah you wouldn't i doubt you you'd be hard pressed to find an environment that kind of felt as lived in as the house and murder house in a ps1 game you know like usually you know stuff had weird dimensions like i even think of like i know this is completely unrelated but like levels in like tony hawk you know on playstation it's just like something is just i mean it looks like a schoolyard but something it's just maybe that picnic table's too big or like something yeah. <laughs> something's going on there so yeah it, it's like very interesting in that way um and i totally agree like it just feels um detailed but not overly detailed and fascinating to explore but something else that i found really remarkable about the choice of again the lo-fi ps1 early ps2 graphics was that he smartly employs that aesthetic because then he is capable of having these horrifically gory and violent moments that you would never see in any game from that actual era right in terms of just the content of it and i think that that's something that makes the scares in this game though like you said there are some very jump scare moments and it's like cranking the volume to 11 to get you jump out of your skin but some of the violence in the game actually felt shocking even though of course the three of us more than likely have seen things far more gruesome in more modern games or in film in general but there is something about the way that it's being portrayed in that graphical aesthetic that you're not expecting it almost Hmm. Um, and I forget the interview I read but there was an interview one time I read where they said that in action comedies 
people are more likely it's something to do with just the way we're interpreting the visuals and again to go <laughs> to go on my own random aside but in action comedies the jokes have a tendency to make audiences laugh more because their brain thinks that they're watching an action movie solely and so when some bit of humor comes through in that they are not expecting it almost because their brain is tuned to this is an action movie this is only about things blowing up and whatnot so when somebody has that little quip or that little line that if you were to say that to your friends they might be like yeah we've heard that before that's just goofy or stupid audiences in general at a theater might have a tendency to erupt with laughter because they weren't expecting that they were expecting oh instead of a one-liner another car will explode or another 15 people will get gunned down or something to that effect we've all kind of talked about the prologue and how important that is to the overall game and why that stands out more than just being an intro chapter. Like, yes, it is the intro to the player becoming familiar with the fundamentals, much like a tutorial or a general prologue to a game is. But Evan, for you, like, what about the prologue from Murder House makes it such a standout within the game, but also in horror in general? You know, I'm just sitting here thinking, (laughs) as I was saying, that it the, the the dimensions of things aren't quite like PS1 games. I'm thinking of that mall and how it is totally like just this bizarre PS1 dimensional like <laughs> too, too big. It's like too... Anyway. Uh, I think that's one of the things. Uh, just the ha- just the emptiness of just being in that mall. Mm-hmm. We've all been in a mall that's about to be shut down, you know, closing for the day and to just you know have a have a generic kind of you know mall where you're just this kid with a mullet you know walking around who's and just the intro like the the very first moment um where you're in the photo like the you know the the screen turns on and you're just looking at a photo booth and you're like uh do i move like what and then you move the joystick and you walk through the curtain and uh, there's your i forget the kid's name but uh there you know there you are um, just stuff like that, uh, you know. It's not this cinematic kind of like. It just says like whatever the day to the the year is nineteen eighty eight. I think. Or, oh no, yeah, eighty eight. I think is the intro. It's that's either eighty five or eighty six, and then it fast forwards that's two right. or three years to. Yes, yeah, eighty five to eighty eight. I think it goes. Yeah, that's yes. You're right. So, yeah. I mean, it's just like you get that little moment of the photo. Uh, happening with the bunny and you're, you know, in the picture, and then just cut to that photo booth and not even seeing the character, and you got to you got to actively engage to to get the ball rolling. I think is like really really um, effective for me. And then um, I'm just the chase, like just when the, he comes out of that door, you're in this, you know, something's coming. There's this long darkened hallway. You're like, okay, I, I can, I know something. It's like you know, hormone. <laughs> Something's gonna happen here. There's, it's quiet, and then the the kind of like split screen multi like hit. Oh the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that moment of the camera, and uh, and you see the Easter Ripper coming towards you, and you're still able to control, and you're just you, you know you saw that door back there, so you run back and hide, and it's just amazing. Um, yeah, that cut the the, the, the multi shots it is great. Just and that sound out like the like. The sounds in, in this game, particularly, like the sound design in the book, uh, he, he works with a frequent collaborator, goes by Moon, spelled with two X's for the O's. Um, yeah. It does like the, and somebody else also did some music on this, but just, you know, that the sound effects of when you find an item 
and that just like boing sound that you, you get <laughs> as the thing's rotating and stuff like just that and that's across like a lot of his games that sound is, is in um, I don't know if it's in Nun Massacre but it's definitely in like Stay Out of the House or uh, and, and other stuff so it's just that combination of elements right just coming out of the door so strong in that prologue from Murder House um, it's like everything I, I love about horror games you know in one nice little package and it's just uh, it's it's really special yeah and just going back to that I think it does a very good trick with that more as you said where, where the emptiness of it but I think it works best because in true PS1 era games fashion it's because of the limitations of what's being used uh, you know it's dark and you can't see very far ahead of you because it suits the game to be like that and so it gives you a very unknowing sense because the game is essentially playing catch-up to what you're doing and you're like, yeah, it makes it emptier than, like, you know, if something was like a modern game, you know, I think, all right, so Resident Evil 2, for example, you know, the remake, the darkness in that, you know, it's there all the time, but you still kind of know where you're going, what's going on. It's like not true darkness, if you know what I mean. It's like, it's not that horrible gloom where you're not, not sure what's coming up next. Whereas this is very much a case of like, you can only see so far in front of your own face, and that, that's how it should be. Yeah, you know? and I think because that bit happens when you're not really having to worry about too much. When in retrospect, you know, you, nothing's really going to happen to you there. But when you first play it, that's you're thinking about something. Yeah, you know, your brain is trained from so many, especially in indie horror games. You know, something's going to jump out and chase me now because that's what these games do like that but yeah the restraint in that section to sort of hold off and hold off and hold off for doing that multi-cut reveal thing is really good and it really sets the scene for what we're going to get in that it's like no no we're not just going to throw things at you every five minutes and be all over the top with it we're going to just build up build up maybe feel like you're going to get to see something it doesn't happen and then bam just out there where you'll walk up the stairs and then something will happen and yeah that, that, that's a great scene setter in that regard I think even going to the end of it you know where uh, the kids his name Justin is locked in that room you know after the guy the janitor leaves and like the lights go off and all the things go and you just you know and you know you've got to hide and you hide you're waiting you're waiting and waiting for it to come and it's like it's cheap, you could say, you know, to go do the jump scare thing with him popping out of nowhere, but it works because it's a good jump scare. You know, it's good because the anticipation is just built nicely. It's like you look staring at that outside that window for ages of the, that room, expecting something to happen, and it doesn't. And then you sort of look away and it does start, and it's yeah. built so nicely. And you get it's just when the lights do go off the, the first in, instinct you have is just to go yeah under the table that's it just stay there like, well, just stay there yeah that's the thing is like like you say it's a, it's a good jump scare so it's mm. it's like this the, the tension that's just been building and also like you, you, you don't even have to get to that point right like you can mm. die in that hallway and never even yeah. see that moment and it just rolls with it uh, which is really cool um, but yeah it's that like you know I laughed at that the, at the with the janitor like in the like it, I mean I it jumped and then I laughed it's like 
such a release of uh, of just like dread just lifting off, uh, off of me that I just couldn't help but laugh. And it's um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So funny enough, like I didn't experience either of the moments that you guys mentioned, other than of course running away and running back into the bathroom after that sort of that slam cut of that comic book panel perspective, which you know it's coming, like you said. Like of course you're running down this seemingly infinitely. Uh, ongoing hallway and then it has that slam cut and the music and you hear like a screaming sound and then you're trying to it gets to the point where I almost like had to remember how to move because I was like oh it came out of nowhere even though I was expecting it but I think that in that is something really remarkable about the game in that he's able to take these moments that you're expecting but how many games from that era had that sensibility of a movie right again it's not expecting the you're expecting it and yet your experience with games for the most part has never backed up that expectation in a lot of ways. But I mean, I died as soon as I got in, I got past that part where the Easter Ripper comes into the bathroom and he searches a couple of stalls. I never eventually followed him down the hallway. I found myself in a, another room or something and I've picked up a screwdriver, I think. Hmm. But then as soon as I picked up the screwdriver and turned around, he was right there and killed me. (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess it's start to time to start the main game. And I didn't realize until I was reading more about the game that, oh, I missed a whole section of it. So then I went back and played it uh, to experience that on my second uh, my second sort of playthrough. But um, one element about the prologue that I think is really smart in terms of you're exploring this very sort of just a mall that you're familiar with in terms of like a mall that's closing, you see all these vacant shops and whatnot, is that the game really instills in the player that they're only going to get as much out of it as they're willing to explore and yeah. not have their hand held in a way that there's no obje- obviously no objectives. There's no sort of indication of where you're supposed to go. It's very much and it's not in a way that I felt was um, maybe less welcoming than some people might expect in terms of just like it being a super hardcore experience. Because, again, these are generally simplistic puzzles in a limited environment. But I just really think that that sets the proper tone in that don't expect to have anything sort of like handheld for you and that you have to explore. And if you're not willing to that to do that and to just explore every inch of every environment, you're not going to have nearly as good of a time or be as engrossed probably in this world as the three of us clearly were. Yeah, like you might not even finish the game if you don't find <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah, if you don't. yeah, that's funny enough that you mentioned that because the first time I played through it, I didn't unlock the... Um, the closet underneath the stairs, which ends up being the safe room, which is essentially like a homage to Resident Evil in a lot of ways, right? Instead of an ink pad and a typewriter, you've got a pencil and a journal. But I remember the first 20 minutes that I spent with the game, once I got into the main game with Emma and was exploring the house, I was like, what the hell are all these pencils for? Like, am I supposed to be, because <laughs> you find so many locked cabinets, I'm like, am I supposed to be jimmying locks with this or something? Like, what the hell is the point of this? I've got six of these, but it gets to the point where after, you can't progress to a certain point until you find that room and then it's like oh okay now it starts clicking in a way that I actually found to be really rewarding I really loved how all of the sort of puzzles which boils down to finding a key for the right lock or finding a doorknob for a uh, a door that doesn't have one mm. and, but just the way in which they're layered and the frequency with which they're layered I found to be really a motivating drive in a way that something like Resident Evil might require obviously much longer than two and a half hours, but just in terms of like the ways in which you hit those sort of progression milestones. And I think that, again, that's why I attribute Murder House to being a very full-fledged experience within less than three hours of gameplay, because it kind of just 
stacks those mini milestones so well in a way that you don't necessarily attribute to a lot of uh, like super bite-sized horror games, right? It kind of feels like a moment or two rather than an experience that's been building and building and building until that uh, penultimate finale. Yeah, and it lets you it lets you um, explore. Like I, I remember, there's a moment just replaying for for the podcast today. Like um, you try to, you know, I forget his name, but the uh, the your boss, uh, uh, Gary, uh, Gary, <laughs> smoking a cigarette, yelling at you all the time, <laughs> with the bad shirt. Um, you know, he uh, he he wants you to go get a pizza or whatever, right? And it's like you try to leave the. I was just kind of exploring the house uh, and you try to go out the front door and, you know, Emma says, oh, no, now that I have a, a light, I should see if there's anything else, you know. So it's like, it's kind of just letting you do your thing, but then also saying like, well, you know, which is very like reminiscent of, you know, the, the kind of like internal dialogue um, stuff in like Resident Evil and stuff like that when you're examining the environment and stuff. And uh, like, Jay, like you were saying, the safe, the safe room, like the the music, like the piano track, like so clearly. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys love that, obviously the name of the <laughs> podcast, but uh, <laughs> just yeah, so much love and care and and homage, but smart, smartly done, and not yeah, it feels earned. Like it, it doesn't feel, it feels like its own thing. And then also like yeah, I mean, if you, it's a little wink, like you know, if you played Resident Evil, you know what's what's up. So. Yeah, and I think also within the the story they're telling in that game, in terms of what's going, it feels like part of that house's story to have this understairs cover of a little journal. Like you know, that mm-hmm. it feels like that plays into the Easter Rippers sort of thing, you know, and so, so maybe somewhere where he'd sent a kid to do to do such a thing. You know, to, but uh, yeah, that's that's cool. You know. That's how Emma describes it, right? She yeah. feel when you go in there, it doesn't have to say like you're safe here, but she just feel I think she does say that, but it's more about almost as if it's her subconscious, right? She says something along the lines of like I feel safe and protected in here. Mm. But at the same time, there is this sort of nefarious connotation with that in that the more you learn about the Easter Ripper and how he liked to mess with his victims before he killed them and that he would allege that they had a chance of escaping, but then of course when you search his dungeon in the basement, you see what the true escape he was offering them was right yeah. finding all these skeletons and corpses and whatnot but i think that that's a really smart way of paying a homage to something like resident evil right it's that you're taking an element that's familiar from that but you're still giving it this really nasty scuzzy connotation within the confines of this experience which very much separates it in ways and doesn't just feel like okay let's see how many famous horror games we can kind of draw things from and then not adding your own real flavor to it. I think that that's like, that's not the best way to put it, but just, I think Puppet Combo is very smart about having clear uh, influences from obviously some beloved horror games and franchises, but he always has this very dark, nasty spin on everything that I think is from what I gather, at least from just playing Murder House, that is what allows him to retain his own voice and make it a standout from other indie horror that's out there in a way that i mean for me it makes me just want to go and search out a lot of his other games and whatnot and um i'm curious also like how did you guys find the writing of the game because that was something again that i was pretty impressed with considering again it's a very sort of lo-fi low budget you're not necessarily looking for this sprawling narrative and yet it seems to me that this one 
very much so is it a great job of establishing all the players mm. and telling you all you need to know about them in so few words and then it has a impact sort of on not only the protagonist character of Emma but just again it further complements there being a certain level of richness to the world yeah. of uh, this game that you're not in for very long yeah I think the key takeaway there is that you know you have this short form game so you have to treat it almost like anthologies or, or short films you know where you, you're going to have to learn as much as you can about these characters in a short space of time and that combined with the idea that you know that it's from this sort of badly acted scuzzy 80s sort of lost film kind of thing uh, means that and and obviously the enthusiasm of the people doing it uh, you know knowing what they're going into it ends up being quite sincere you know because the uh, people there understand you know, what they're supposed to be doing that they are you know not, it's not Shakespeare in the park it is pretty much like it's like yeah you know what those kind of films are like you know how the dialogue can sound put your own spin on it and that, again that's what it is it's like a nuanced spin on bad dialogue but done better yeah this is it and you know, the characters are stereotypes but they're the right kind of stereotypes for the story being told it's like I mean to, okay, short as it is and as stereotypical as those characters can be they're still you know more interesting than many a horror film in the last I don't know how many years that would <laughs> go with the stock standard types of characters and make them very bland and very uh, you know, it's like hey give us the seedy characters and the, the shitty people and the whiners and the complainers because it makes for fun when they die you know <laughs> which is you know yeah. that's the price of admission I mean like you know Gary the, the boss in this is you know, the perfect example of that you know he's just everything he's just so up his own ass you know, in terms of everything and, and doesn't give a shit about anyone to the point where you're saying about the pizza thing like that <laughs> and Emma comes back in to basically say that they can't get pizza because the car's been destroyed and it's like and he doesn't really even think of it as being a problem it's like yeah. oh. it's like well no. I'm still pissed off at you because you didn't get the pizza so. yeah like we, we all had a manager like that right that's just yeah. I don't care like do it you know and and just like even like yeah I mean those character moments are so good like him just being like Emma throw a, put a sheet on and walk behind the you yeah. know shot like you're a ghost like <laughs> it's yeah. just uh, yeah it's incredible well there's no there's no need to beat the player over the head with it right we only have maybe three or four instances like that from each character but that's all you need you don't have to be berated over the head by that character for the entire course of the game and of course yeah. like once you get to his fate it's even more uh, more satisfactory because of how much of a shit he's been the entire game but mm. you only need those three or four moments and at the end of the day when you get to the end of the game those are the moments that stick with you if if he was chatting in your ear the entire game you'd, when he dies you'd be like okay it's just another person but I find that his few moments of like real standout dialogue like that where he's like oh yeah we need to sec. I think he says we need to sexy this shot up. You need yeah. to go put a sheet on your head and run through the back of the room or whatever in the background. And yeah. I mean the the cam- the uh, on screen talent like doesn't sell it at all. She's like, <laughs> oh, I think there's a there's a presence here or something. And it's just it's so cheesy and over the top, but it tells you all you need to know about both of those characters. And it's a brief moment, but it stands out as being uh, not only hilarious but telling of both of their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
One line of dialogue, uh, internal dialogue rather, that really stood out to me with Emma was when early on you're exploring the basement and you see the washing machine and you get the power turned on and you hear something thudding around in there. And of course, like, what's the first thing you think? Oh, it's probably a body part or a head or something. <laughs> and then when you end up wedging it open, I think there's a doorknob in it. And then she, Emma says to herself something along the lines of, oh, I'm relieved that it was just a doorknob. I thought it'd be something horrible. And then yeah. she just moves on. Like yes. that type of self-aware writing I love because it is, it's puppet combo showing that he is aware of a lot of the tropes and the sort of general goofiness of whether it be film or games from that era. And yet he's doing it in a smart way that's funny. And you don't have 10 or 15 moments like that. You have maybe five or six, but it's just, it's a limited amount. But I think in that it's more about quality than just quantity because after a while that would just lose all the sort of emphasis that that yeah. moment and even like yeah when you're um getting the, the glass of the cup of water um <laughs> for the on screen the, the anchor there and like you know she's like you wash this right and then there's this yeah. pot and <laughs> sure. i was like yes <laughs> like unconvincing yes yeah. uh like yeah it's just you know i know um I know Ben works with like collaborators um, that, you know, like I think the Easter Ripper model was designed by another um, developer and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think just his, his kind of, yeah, I mean, he's the director, like he's just, he's just on point with like bringing out all these elements in that are just, you know, fit perfectly with the, with the, the mood and the, um, and the tone and, yeah, when you say like, what do you think of the narrative, Jay, of the, of the game and stuff like that? Um, I think that it's it's great from a dialogue point of view, but it's even better just from a design standpoint. And I almost consider that like the scripted events, like that's as much narrative and writing in in a game, you know, uh, as the dialogue. And I think those are so strong like I, I think they're great across the board and all puppet combo stuff but murder house is just like knocks it right out of the park um and just the, you know even simple things like making you a, a child in the prologue like you're helpless mm. you have no weapon yeah. uh you know neil was talking about the intro to resident evil 2 uh, you know, you have that big cinematic. You got the the guy crashing the truck. You you know, you're a rookie cop, but you have a gun. Like, it puts you in a horrifying moment with zombies like overwhelming you right from the first screen uh, in Resident Evil 2. But it's different, uh, and and you know, a lot of indie horror, I think, is so great right now, and where a lot of the my passion lies uh, at the moment, at least. Um, because, you know, it's taking chances. It's doing things that any kind of, like, independent art form that doesn't have some huge, like, budget behind it with, you know, people high up executives, like, telling, you know, the, the creative teams what, you know, there's just something really special about just the, the full range of experiences being able to be conveyed uh, in the indie horror space. And, and that's, like, let's be real, I think that's what, draws us to games so much anyway is just being able to put yourself in a set of shoes that like you maybe haven't hadn't considered or um you know take on take on like the life experience of, of something that otherwise you wouldn't and i mean a film can do that a book can do that but it's the interactivity right like in the, yes. in the game mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it seems like indie games have gotten, or indie horror games have gotten more hip to that idea of like the everyman in a situation where when you pair that with the interactivity portion, like you mentioned, it adds another level of fear. And I think that this kind of, this helps me kind of uh, transition into my next point, which about Murder House, which I liked so much was that you are very much this sort of just this everyman or woman in that you're just some, I think you're a college intern there, right? And they even make a prerequisite for why you're not a super soldier and that you can't run infinitely, right? Oh, you you pulled your, you twisted your ankle or something in track practice. Mm-hmm. So this is why you can only run for a certain amount of time. Like a little touch like that, that is three or four lines of dialogue early on or lines, yeah, lines of dialogue right there. That just tells you all you need to know about it. It's like, okay, remember, you're not invincible. You're not a super soldier, right? right? That idea that with something like Resident Evil, Sure, you're a rookie cop with a gun, but you might as well be a super soldier in that, of course. You can get bit, you can get attacked multiple times, but you're not going to turn into a zombie right away, right? That type of whole... You got those uh, herbs. You got those powerful yeah, ex- herbs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Those powerful herbs that keep you going. But, um, some, <laughs> but something that I really didn't have enough of the umbrella to actually stop the outbreak in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You need to go to uh, RPD headquarters and find out what kind of herbs they're growing because they could they could end that whole thing tomorrow. But the element of Murder House that I really like is that it gives you about two or three means of defense against the Easter Ripper, but it's only momentary, right? It's a fleeting sense of security. It, it, you find a handgun early on. You find a fire poker early on. You still have to shoot him about four times with that handgun before he scurries away. And it's only ever for a few moments. Yeah. And I think that that's key in having a singular antagonist in the house with you. And of course, it's a recurring one at that. But I think that that is most key in that I never felt safer with that gun. I still felt like for two reasons. One, obviously, like I just mentioned, you're never going to kill him outright. Otherwise, it'd be a pretty, uh, pretty anticlimactic game in terms of uh, the first two hours of the game or so. But also, it's the idea that you're not this invulnerable person in that, oh, I'm good for maybe a minute or two, and then he's going to come back. And now, with the limited amount of ammo in the game, especially for the handgun, you're like, okay, I need to make these shots count. But to piggyback off of that, something Evan said earlier in terms of, like, cranking the volume to 11, every single time he shows up, I momentarily lose my shit, and I'm just like, oh, wait, oh, am I going to aim? Am I going to run? What am I... And even though I have that means of defense he does such a good job of just unbalancing the player that you do panic in a way that again, like I play lots of horror games and I have varying uh, scares in them and whatnot and various reactions to it. But this game instills a sense of genuine panic in me that I don't necessarily attribute to a great deal of horror games. And I think in that regard, like for anybody that maybe like they're turned off by the lo-fi aesthetic of the game. I'm like, well, if you want to feel like some genuine fear that you probably haven't felt with a lot of recent horror games, at least in the AAA space, maybe like this is the type of experience that is made for you, the player. Yeah. And I mean, like just to go back, cause I, I definitely wanted to, you know, touch on it. Um, just something about that 3d early 3d, aesthetic uh is just super unsettling and i know neil was saying about the stretched like and the you'll see textures on the wall like warp and stuff and i don't know uh, you're probably familiar with it but like uh dream uh simulator for ps1 that japanese game where it's just like spaces and you're just walking around and it just 
changes all the time. It's randomized and there's no kind of objective. You're just in these like absolutely bizarre environment. Um, you know, there's something, you know, I, I meet, and again, going back to the podcast last week, uh, listening to you guys talk about early um, experiences with games that affected you like in a, in a horror sense that probably weren't even horror uh i cannot tell you how many people you know when they it's like what, what do you do oh i write about horror games man uh zelda ocarina of time scared the shit out of me when i was a kid <laughs> like, it was the it's like you know it's it's always like n64 games ps1 games um and that's just like maybe a generational thing because of the age of the people I'm speaking to. But like something about that is still to this day just and and yeah, I mean, like you said, Jay, like I, I play a ton of stuff. Uh, I get interested in things, but a lot of stuff doesn't affect me in that way. And something about Puppet Combo's work and, and uh, this is this kind of like aesthetic just gets under my skin uh more than anything well yeah i think that this is a great way to segue into like some of our favorite scares or scary moments of the game in that again it comes back to puppet combo really challenging people's expectations of what could occur in a game that looks like this right i think that one of the moments that i literally like almost i dropped the controller in my lap because i was so taken aback by it was at one point in the game i think when you found three of the four Easter eggs, which each Easter egg is basically attributed to one of the crew members getting killed, right? So at a certain point, I think I had three of them. I went up the stairs to the second floor and I was going to turn a corner that I've turned probably six or seven times in my exploration of the house already. So I'm like, well, this is a familiar environment. And then I turned the corner and the entire uh, sort of second floor now is basically uh, illuminated by a Argento-esque red kind of glare throughout everything this very unnatural just flooding of red on the second floor you see help me written all over the walls and then you turn that corner and all of a sudden on the wall you see the easter ripper bunny head but it's got spider legs protruding from it and i was like (laughs) taken aback and it's sort of this bone chill like a it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot when talking about horror games but it is a genuinely terrifying moment in games for me in that I was like, well, what the fuck is this? Like, this is so out of left field. Talk about that surreal sort of lynching quality to logic that you mentioned earlier, Evan, Mm -hmm. in that there's nothing in the game that is preparing you for that moment. There's no, you, any experience you've had with games that have a lo-fi quality to them, whether they be more modern or more classical, nothing has had a moment like that, at least that I've experienced. And I would venture most don't considering this game has nothing to do with that sort of terror in it, right? There aren't there aren't really uh, insect insect monsters and all these things. And all of a sudden, this killer that is a man by all accounts, albeit a supernatural one, is just a spider monster. And I mean, uh, granted, my uh, fear of general in general of spiders is terrifying, but <laughs> I think that his just blending of that tapping into the randomness quality of it but then also like having the environment reflect something very surreal that's happening Mm -hmm. is just such a beautiful meshing of horror in so many different ways that it makes for a genuinely terrifying moment that at almost 30 like i'm never gonna forget (laughs) yeah i mean it's pure um have you guys seen the enemy Denis yes. Villeneuve, enemy. It's yeah. like the end of that movie. You're just like, what? Yeah. 
fuck is going on? <laughs> like, and it's just, it's just like under, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not understated. I mean, like you say, the whole, everything's goes red and it's like very like in your face, but it's just, you're just like, what the hell? Like, where did this come from? And then it's gone. And then it never really comes back. Like it, you keep, it keeps you on your toes. You're thinking, oh, okay, it's going to be like this now. And it, no, it just, it just is a moment. And that elevates it so much more. Yeah. Up until the, the, the game, pretty much the, the original end, uh, I think where mm-hmm. obviously you think goes a bit more supernatural again, but so, yeah. I just love that. I mean, the way you put that is great and that it's an overstated moment, right? You're flooding the second floor in neon red. It's preparing you for something terrifying, but then to give you the player this curveball that they can't, there's no way that you can't anticipate that moment. There's nothing, no indication that the game is going to present you with anything other than the Easter Ripper in his, albeit uh, more traditional form, if there's a, a way to say that. But I just love that the game has these very few overstated horror moments that it never touches upon again like there's one early on when emma goes into one of the rooms that you're going to film in and she sees a a premonition basically of one of the crew members dead on the floor right and it has that moment where the volume screeches it comes out of nowhere you see a bloody corpse but she never has a moment like that again and that's something that i think shows a lot of restraint on um puppet combo's part and that he's able to have these very impactful jarring moments that instill genuine fear but he doesn't have an over-reliance on them i think back to also like there's one or two instances where you see like a ghostly child running through the hall you hear them giggling but there's only one or two instances of that it's not Uh beating the player over the head with it you're not hearing it in every part of the house because even by the end of a two and a half hour experience for as short as something that is that loses its effect if it's the entire experience right it's very, this is a game that I find to be super difficult to almost describe to people outside of just the generic framework of it because yeah. you're like, well, yeah, there's some creepy ghosts and all these things, but it's using familiar elements and deploying them like very expertly mm-hmm. that really makes this just that much more heightened. It's kind of what we all want from our horror, right? Is just like a a using of traditional horror tropes and scares, but deploying them smartly. I think uh, we'll get onto it. I'm sure, but with the extended ending that, that, that uh, ended up coming, which is in the latest version as well, um, a lot of these decisions start to make a lot more sense. You know, like mm. like just because then it, oh, we won't go to it yet. But yes, um, it does. It works. Well, as I said, we'll talk about that in a bit. Exactly what that is, but the the almost. Non- nonsensical part of certain parts of the story, which if you were defending it, you could say, oh, yeah, well, it's like dreamlike and nightmarish and, you know, that things don't have to make sense and it's curveballs, as you said. But, you know, if you were being critical, you say, well, you can't really get away with that for no reason, you know, because then it just feels lazy and it would go against everything that the rest of the game is about. But yeah, as I said, the extended ending kind of changes the, the perspective on that entirely because yeah, you know I wasn't aware of it and uh, you know, having played yeah, exactly. it uh, I played the PC version last year and before the patch had been added for that and it was only playing this now and obviously I was just tapping away on my phone after finishing the game again and it's like oh okay there's more like that and, and that was really cool and you know I was sure I hadn't missed this last time and it was like 
and finding out afterwards that you know oh they added it it was great yeah that plays a big part I think and it is just this whole other clever layer on the swerve that that ending takes the original ending yeah my experience was the same I mean I I played it yeah when it came out uh, on PC and uh, and then just replayed it on Switch and like yourself I had absolutely no idea I mean I think I vaguely remember an alternate ending uh, update on Steam like you know it said like oh yeah added this we've added first person mode and stuff like that um which was a godsend to be honest on the um replay because i'd much prefer it in first person I think it's, it may- yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what i was gonna say is like how incredible is that first person element um because you know like obviously none massacre stay out of the house those are first person mm. and it just i think it just adds another layer of feeling like you're present there in that environment uh because I mean, let's like I love the the tank controls and yeah, you know, I, I I got nothing but love for like that <laughs> style of game, for, especially oh, in yeah. War. But yeah, it just it just really makes it even more special, I think, in, in first person. Yeah. But, like you it, say that, yeah, I was gonna say, especially that you know the opening, you know, with the the mall and seeing it into yeah. the darkness, it just makes it so much more effective seeing it from eyes rather than buying someone yes absolutely and you you know i played through it in first person but i and i you know i'm maybe uh, i'm showing my age i'm not as in favor of the tank controls even though maybe i'm not as uh not as outspoken about them as maybe some people are uh in the classical sense but (laughs) i appreciated the fact though that like the presentation holds up either way, right? I think I experienced every single environment from both perspectives, even if I played 85% or 90% of the game in first person, because that's how I preferred to explore those environments. I felt more like I was in them, you know what I mean? Of course, all the benefits, obviously, the benefits of playing in first person and a first person perspective, but it doesn't feel like an afterthought. And that's something that I've been meaning to circle back to that Evan mentioned earlier in that, the aesthetic of the game in the world, none of it feels like mailed in in a way that you could see someone doing and being like, well, it's capitalized on nostalgia. Whereas this game, it's seemingly like Puppet Combo has said, hey, I can give you both of these perspectives and you might get more out of one than the other, but you can still experience this game and all it has to offer in both in a way that I think is very uncommon. And it comes back to what Evan was talking about in terms of like the different filters that the game has. I mean, I played through the first hour of the game with the VHS filter or the PSX filter, and then I played it without any filters on it at all because just I was playing through it in one go. I was like, I would rather just kind of run through this without any of the graininess. But that one, that first opening hour is now like seared into my brain because of that sort of scummy, uh, yeah. scummy extra quality. I mean, the rest of the game is, of course, uh, representative of somebody that understands that scummy quality and that still is in the environment and the events that occur throughout that. But even though if you don't play with those filters, like the filters, if anything, just complement that aesthetic more, but nothing is actually really lost in my opinion, even if you don't play with them, because the rest of the game is so indicative of the things that people attribute that sort of signature style to, if that makes sense. Like it's just through and through a game that it's clear someone understands this at every single level. And even if you remove one element, 
the rest of the world is still indicative of that sort of like general understanding and love of that presentation. Yeah. Yeah, but let me tell you, if you turn the, uh, uh, there, I think there's an option. When I when I replayed on the Switch, I was like, you know what? Because like you say, Jay, I, I think the first time I played, I maybe had the VHS filter on, and then I think maybe I switched to PSX. Um, but this time I was like, you know what? I'm just going to jack everything to the max. And just like I had the <laughs> tracking lines running through the screen all the time. <laughs> so when there's that in the prologue with the hallway, like I couldn't even see the end of the hallway. Like it was just <laughs> yeah. the screen, just like... And it just made it, because I knew what was coming, I've already played it. So it's like, it's those smart elements that just add, uh, combined with like, just the kind of relative freedom you have of missing items. And like we were saying earlier, like it just adds these layers and layers of replayability to it. Um, Depth, like something that, you know, I think with like indie horror and just indie games in general, it's so fucking hard to like get your thing made and the make it the way you want to make it right and uh sometimes people don't have developers i don't think have like the opportunity to throw in all the bells and whistles they want and yet here's this shorter kind of uh you know gameplay experience that uh just has all you know like just so many elements that are you can turn on and off and engage with or, or totally leave on the table and not even uh interact with and it doesn't really detract uh from your first experience with it um but you know if you want to go in deeper it's there um and i think that's especially with like a game like this like a survival horror game like that's just kind of unique because yeah i mean if it's something like a uh roguelike you know randomly generated procedurally generated type thing obviously there'll be depth of this and that to the to the gameplay and things that will change when you come back but to have this kind of fully rounded you know um horror experience where like we were saying earlier you can totally just miss half the prologue and and not even see that when your first uh, playthrough or like neil and i come come back and you're like what there's a different ending and then you see that ending you're like oh this is like actually (laughs) completely uh changes like everything so it's 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 cool i mean I'll say some of those, the, all those features that we've been talking about are the the best example of including features like that in that it only adds to the experience rather than ever kind of uh, negating any other type of experience, right? So if you play with those filters, more likely than not, that's feeding into a certain level of nostalgia, which both of you mentioned earlier in the show, in that, yeah, it takes you guys back to those days of watching a movie on a beat up VHS tape where the quality is to shit, but it's the only way you can experience these things at the time. Mm. Whereas somebody like me that doesn't play the entire game like that, that doesn't have that same experience with horror media. If anything, it doesn't take away from my experience to play it without filters on. And that's one of the elements that I think is really key to this game. Using nostalgia as a, uh, as an enhancement rather than a crutch, right? It's not reliant on that, just these extra features that only resonate with a certain portion of the audience. And I think that that is the key that further shows an understanding of the type of experience, but also just the types of influences that they're drawing from. But um, some of the things, before we move on to the game's ending, which I was completely blown away by because I wasn't expecting it. Obviously, it was my first time playing it, but it just goes from two very different extremes that 
was very shocking in a way that I was, again, not expecting and sort of just um, Puppet Combo's sort of ability to challenge your expectations based on what you're shown, even though by the end of two and a half hours, I should have been fully informed that, hey, this could take any sort of turn. I can't guess where this is going, and yet it still goes in the most wild of directions. Um, I got to say, his ability to include very sort of shocking kills and deaths and whatnot in a game where I was not expecting things of that caliber, Mm. again, based off of just the way it looks, I found to be very shocking and every time it happened, very memorable. Like, specifically when Gary, that asshole uh, cable news guy that's in charge, basically gets killed. Sure, he gets snuck up on and gets hacked, but but Puppet Combo takes us literally inside of his body to see the blade come (laughs) through and slice through his chest. And I mean... Again, it's simplistic animations, but it just shows that you're able to take something that looks very classical and is not outside of what you would expect from a slasher. And yet that changing of perspective makes it all the more memorable in a way that it's it's something that could be effective regardless of the limitations of a budget or uh, whatever sort of like the uphill battle of indie game making that Evan mentioned a moment ago. And that just shows like a real ingenuity in terms of making the most with very little in a way that I found refreshing all the way through and probably every single instance of the kills, right? The game has a very small body count. I think there's five people that get killed, but every single one on some level is super memorable. Well, and it's... Uh, I was just going to say, like, it's it's also... I, yeah, like, it's, it's. I think the first game that uh, Ben uh, worked on was like a... He was trying to do like a Halloween game, right? That it became something else, uh, but it was initially he was he was trying to do like a it became babysitter bloodbath or whatever, yeah. or whatever. But it, it was like a Halloween. It was supposed to be like Michael Myers, um, and you think about Halloween and what is Halloween amazing at doing and, and Carpenter amazing at, at doing in that movie? Yeah, how many people die in that film? Like, not many. But it's so suspenseful, so effective. There's not even that much violence in it, and it's still, you know. And I'm, uh, and of course, now I have Halloween Kills in my head, and it's just like, uh, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's that simplicity and that just showing just the mastery of like that long delayed uh, payoff that that Neil was talking about, and the just you know. It takes it takes like a real true fan of the genre to to craft like something like this in the time that it that it uh, does it and so successfully. And um, I think I asked Ben, you know, what who are some of your like favorite filmmakers? Uh, and he listed like Todd Sheets, you know, who's like this guy. I, I don't know if he's from Florida. I can't remember, but he just makes these like super low budget. Um, into full, obviously fully independent, really gory, cheesy with like Z grade actors, or they may even just be his friends. I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know, like, and that's the kind of stuff that like Ben just 100% loves. And it's not that kind of like zero pretentiousness, you know, like just, just a true love of the genre and everything that's cool and unique about it. And sometimes what's cool and unique about it is like the, z-grade you know stuff that you'll just like stumble across and be like what is this like you know like the canadian movie things if you if you guys have ever seen that anyway 
I won't do, derail. Uh, <laughs> no, no. We we love a uh, a good uh, a good aside on uh, yeah. <laughs> safe room, but Lord knows I do enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm. Sorry. But yeah, um, just you know, like I think on Twitter too. Like I posted some nonsense about how much I love Halloween Four, and you know, listen, I know Halloween Four isn't good, <laughs> but you know, like he loves it too. Uh, he, he he came to my defense, and it's like, yeah, that's uh, that's the thing, right? Is like, there's so many good elements and bad art uh, that is kind of like amazing in of themselves, and taken at you know independently out of the the bigger work that they're contained in, and and Puppet Combo just like serves that up on a silver platter, and it's just like, check this out. And that's one of the most appealing things. Uh, and, and like, the these games are dark, man. Like, the, just oh, yeah. the Puppet yeah. Combo goes places that, like, most other, even independent stuff, like, just, like, feed me, Billy. You're just killing <laughs> innocent people and feeding them to a pit with teeth. Like, it's just... And Bloodwash, too. Like, just, the, you know, the end of that game. Like, man. Like, it just... Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost... It's, like, almost comical like how dark and horrible the 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 content is and when you get to the dungeon i mean yeah the the easter ripper dungeon again like i i should have been prepared for just him going in the most fucked up of directions and yet that's some of the darkest shit i've ever seen in a game yeah like let alone in horror in general i think that it does a disservice to say just in a game but in horror in general right and i think that he had, again, it's such a level of restraint, right? Because imagine if the entire game was filled with moments like that dungeon and the details you mm-hmm. learn about what he was doing to the victims and all of this. And a lot of it is environmental storytelling, right? A lot of it's implied. I think Emma has a line of dialogue talking about the darkness that happened down there, but it's very much implied what he had been doing to his victims without having to say it or beating the player over the head with it throughout, right? I think that it's shocking because of the limited use of moments like that right if that had been throughout the entire game it goes from us talking affectionately about this being a sleazy sort of environment and world and events to something that goes from sleazy to more like disgusting because they're trying to get shock value out of something horrific that ends up coming off as like cheap and lame rather than affecting right and i think that that just shows a great knowledge of how to employ like shocking moments jump scares but also uh just the other kind of like elements of this that we've been talking about that make it uh resonate so much for us yeah and then the ending just you know that that additional ending just kind of like all a different you know realm as well so it's like yeah so yeah so let's talk about that i think i I think we've sort of circled that again for a while so let's um get into that so obviously the original ending was a bit uh, abrupt would be the best way to put it, I think. Um, you know, you basically kill the Easter Ripper, but then don't because he comes back. Um, and then it goes full fulci and decides that, you know, all the victims are going to come out, out of the ground as zombies and eat them alive, and that's it. And, you know, yeah. the cool part of that reel before that is that, you know, the cameraman Tom was the actual Easter Ripper and his brother took the rap for him and that's why he's still about and killing. It's like, that was yeah, cool. But yeah, that ending sort of came out of left field and originally 
to me that seemed like yeah it seems a bit wild seems a bit weird and at the time would have been my major criticism of the game in itself it's it sort of felt like it was throwing things left right and center but and the reason i don't believe that the the extended ending was just like a reaction to everything that to that you know to criticism of that ending is that light at the end is very very deliberate yeah it's very deliberately setting up what is to come next and i love that because initially it's like you had that mystery of what is it and the answer was always going to be provided and so obviously all a bit of credits get this whole other section where the reveal is this was all just being filmed and this is a film and like that and well but still in a very double meta twist you know it's a film about the Easter Ripper who it seems is still actually a thing that is being explored as a real thing in that world you know that that case was real and they were making this documentary you know this found footage style documentary about that and then finding him which obviously the story in that film itself is exactly the same thing and that's great and it's like and sure the ending you know, as it goes you know the actress playing Emma goes away in her car from the thing saying it's a stupid ending and <laughs> she just, yeah. again just feeds into that that's a very deliberate choice she goes off in her car and uh, it pans back to show that the real Easter Ripper is there in the back of her car waiting for her. So, yeah, that was really a game changer in terms of, like, you know, I put Murder House on my Games of the Year list last year, you know, for really bloody disgusting. Uh, I think the only thing that stopped it, two things stopped it from being, like, Game of the Year. One was it wasn't Amnesia Rebirth, and two, that ending was a bit too all over the place as it stood but now having that 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 was a good contender because now it feels you know it's not smug in your face sort of oh look at us look what we're doing sort of thing it's a really good examination of what the idea that of a bad director throwing just whatever the fuck it is they can at the screen for you know moments you know and then hoping that works you know just doing whatever and that again sort of loops back into the story within it where Gary is trying to get them to just do whatever shit they can to make a story out of nothing and it just I love that sort of feedback loop that goes from one story to another to another Uh, and basically just that's the theme of the game in itself is this idea of just creating this legend at whatever you can you know it's your own legend you've made it on one level, on another level, on another level, and again. Yeah. It is fantastic, uh, adding that sort of context into it and adding it later and not being aware of it until this week is just marvellous. It really is. I'm just suitably impressed by that sort of take and turn on it. And like I said, I don't think it's, you know, reactionary. It's very much a planned thing from the start that that was the way we are going to end it but we had this in mind to sort of show later. Well, and it's interesting because it kind of lets you sit with the, um, if you play the game, if you played the game on release, yeah. And it's like, I can only, I can only speculate, uh, but uh, I remember around uh, the time of Murder House's initial release, uh, it was 
it just kept getting delayed. I don't think a, a release date was necessarily promised, or maybe it was. I can't remember, but you know that it it, it overshot that uh, release date window. And so, like you say, yeah, I think it's totally the intended ending. It's just maybe they were, you know, on a, he was crunching and, and had to release it. Felt like he wanted to release it without that, and thought, yeah. oh, okay, I'll add this later, and it'll it'll be like even more. Um, more you know impactful for the people who've played it it's a it's an excuse to go back and play the game again uh <laughs> you know it doesn't take that long uh it's it's brilliant so jay what did you think of the ending oh i i mean i loved it too because again of course there's the meta angle right where you're just like oh this has all been a a big facade essentially for the player right but it start. It's kind of like what Neil said early on, in that it makes you start to think about the entire construction of the game, and you start to piece together things that maybe don't quite add up, right? I, I love that in the movie, like, oh, who does the Easter Ripper end up being? Oh, it ends up being the real Easter Ripper, but his brother took the fall for him, and the person that they executed was his brother and whatnot. And it's like such a ridiculous sort of like very reminiscent of films of that era of uh, whodunits and whatnot, where yeah. it's like, oh, of course it was somebody close to the protagonist or it was somebody that was covering for somebody else or something like that. It's some Scooby-Doo but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's some Scooby-Doo shit, but it's done <laughs> so in a self-aware way where he realizes what he's doing. He's in on the joke, but it's the pairing with that whodunit Scooby-Doo ridiculousness. But then, of course, there's this random curveball where all of a sudden the skeleton zombies of his victims rise up and they, what do they do? Of course they eat him. Like what else would they do? Of course they're going to eat him. And it's just a combining of like the two extremes of the ridiculousness. And then the overt supernatural, which has not, well, there've been inklings of it throughout the game, but this is the most overt supernatural element of it. But then of course, to have this meta spin on it, you start to piece together other elements of the game, but then to have the, it's uh, in the words of like M. Night Shyamalan, right? It's a twist within a twist, right? It's a meta. But then, of course, at the end of the game, you realize, oh no, the Easter Ripper is real and he's about to kill the protagonist of the game in the real world. Um, but again, coming back to like the sort of just restrained nature of a lot of the elements that are employed is that we don't have to get some scene of the Easter Ripper reaching over the back seat or cutting her head off. We just see a glimmer of him between the seat cushions and like the walls of the car. That's all you have to see. And then it cuts and you're done. And I just love that because it's very heavily implied, of course, that like the Easter Ripper is about to kill her or there's enough ambiguity there that a struggle could ensue. Perhaps she survives. Perhaps he's not even in the car. Perhaps it's her bunny suit and she actually was going to go out and kill somebody. I mean, I just love that. Of course, I don't necessarily think that's what the uh, intended ending was be, but I just love a a director or a game developer including just enough ambiguity that someone's own creativity or twisted mind could create their own ending with certain variables that other people aren't going to have and then I mean it it, it makes me sort of like sad that this is a game that even with it getting a wider release on console right so people like me now will be able to experience it without a PC or just people in general could stumble upon and be experienced and experience it it ends up being the type of thing where I was like, I wish more people would reach out and play these types of games or go out of their way to play these types of games because then you would have these types of conversations where, oh, what do you think the ending means? What do you think happens next type things? And for a three-hour game that is a majority of it is linear, 
that's a fantastic way, I think, to end that game because it opens up a certain level of conversation, but I think any level of conversation around such a short but impactful experience like this are the types of conversations that I want to seek out. It's why the three of us have been talking now for uh, 90 minutes about it, but it's the type of thing also where when people talk about examples of strong indie horror for more than just one or two little stylistic or gameplay elements, Murder House seems like a game that really takes the best of a lot of different sort of worlds or elements of games that is kind of just making this beautiful concoction that is not only like a love letter to genre in a lot of ways, but it stands on its own. And I think that that's an important distinction to make, right? Is that even if maybe you're not in as much love as Puppet Combo is with the certain era of horror that he's drawing a lot of inspiration from, it's still something to be enjoyed. Like 70s and 80s are not necessarily where a lot of my horror experiences lie, but his just commitment to not only 90s game development and sensibilities in a lot of ways, but just the entire package through and through feels like a love letter to horror for a variety of reasons. It resonates with me in a way that I find a lot of indie horror doesn't at the moment, even not to say that there aren't a fantastic uh, sort of just a crop of indie horror that's been going around for now a long time, but it just, it this game hit me in a way I was not expecting. And it's one that even though you know the twists, you know the meta spin and whatnot, it's one that I want to revisit with this new context, mm. which makes me excited for a revisit. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think one notable thing, too, with, with uh, indie games, horror otherwise, is just there's so many out there. And mm-hmm. if, for instance, if, you, if you're not really a PC gamer or Mac or whatever... Um, you know the whole itch community like you you will never tap into that and i it like i feel like i got into itch.io late uh and i like kind of make it my thing to try to play like everything right so um there's just so much out there that you can miss and i think uh with this game and and put the combos other work uh yeah, it's just the perfect culmination of him and his team just kind of experimenting with short form um, horror, and it just feels like a real launching point. And I'm like very excited to uh, see you know what what he and his collaborators are going to serve up next because it just really feels like he's taken everything. I mean, he's been making games now for like over a decade I believe so yeah. Yeah, um, is, I think yeah pretty much I think it's about nine years at least since his first yeah. release now so yeah it's you wouldn't think it I think just I think because his popularity came a little later but yeah he, he has been around a good while you know, doing this which shows you know you can toil away for a bit before sort of making a name for yourself you know you can but that way, you look at that early sort of run he had was, um, you know, babysitter, blood bath, powder, and massacre, and uh, the night ripper was in there as well. And it's just, yeah, fantastic sort of run he had early on. But yeah, it's it's crazy how how many games he's put out since, you know. And some stuff has worked, some stuff hasn't. You know, there's plenty of projects in the past where he hasn't sort of quite finished development, like an idea was there, and he's like, nah and just ditched it to go and do something else which is healthy I think 
yeah. yeah. When you're making such short form games, it's who know when to say no. You know what? No, I I feel like this isn't going to work for me right now. So I'll leave it. Maybe I'll come back to it later. Which he's done on a few things, well, I think, uh, over the years. Yeah. That's a quality of a creative that's not limited to game design, right? I mean, how many? I mean, between the three of us, how many times have we been writing simultaneously multiple articles about wh- whatever? You take a break from one, you go work on something else, and you come back and you have like a new perspective or a new insight, yeah. Or just you want to switch things up. You're like, oh, this thing sounds too familiar to what I was writing before. Let mm. me approach this in a new angle. And I think that that I, I agree, Neil. The way you put that, like it's that seems very healthy in a way that we probably don't, I guess people don't attribute to the medium of games as a whole, right? It's like, well, this is the big thing that we're making and this is the only thing we're working on. Whereas when it is a much limited, of course, resources, but also the studio that's making the game, which in this case is like a sole single developer, but then somebody that, of course, like uh, Evan had said, reaches out to others for different uh, specific elements, but really it is like the brainchild of a singular person Who's to say that stepping away and working on one project or another project isn't going to drastically influence and basically like lift up the main thing that they just stepped away from? And I'll say again, like with a grain of salt, I've only played Murder House, but this feels like a game that is reminiscent of something that somebody has been working towards or has been influenced by past successes or maybe even past failures in that same regard, right? Because it feels like somebody that fully understands what they had to make but i think the reality is is that not everybody even if on paper it sounds simple a lot of the design elements are very smart and almost subversive in some ways again challenging your expectations and whatnot yes who's to say that if he hadn't taken time off to go work on another project that we would have gotten the murder house that we got today and part of that might be in uh reminiscent of the reality that it got a different ending or an extended ending later after release. Like who's to say that that would have been the original ending had he not taken time away and this and that. But I guess in talking about like puppet combo and his now it seems a decade tenure in games for you, Evan, if you had to recommend like two or three of his games, not in any order, but two or three of his standout experiences outside of murder house that people are either coming to for the first time or they played murder house and they want to go back and experience some other things what might those be if you want something that's just completely different uh i can't recommend spiders enough i love spiders uh it's like doom it's like a it's like a that style of like first person shooter you're you're a dad protecting your family from giant spiders that are trying to get into your house (laughs) Um, but honestly i think it's ridiculous like it's incredible uh but uh i think the the best first kind of dipping your toe into puppet combo is probably scary tales volume one it's kind of like a little anthology uh game that he did where it has like a um a narrative going on that kind of like ties the thing together but then it has a few of these older titles uh you kind of like take a vhs tape and put them in a, a player and, and then you play like these these smaller experiences and that'll give you a good kind of like smattering of i think uh what you can get from uh from puppet combo stuff like i think actually spiders is part of scary tales volume one i think night shift which is like an intro to um stay out of the house is in there feed me billy is in there um yeah 
so probably overall scary tales volume one see if you like it uh you know gauge how how much fucked up shit you can handle (laughs) (laughs) i would say as well yeah i was gonna say i'd say as well that's the sort of thing that i discussed off the podcast last week with jay is that if anyone was to make like a vhs game you know Mm -hmm. i discussed this vhs series that, that that's sort of person that you'd want to wrangle that sort of idea because you know it's the perfect fit you know knows how to do it each story is short punchy does something within that sort of realm it would work perfectly and I really do think that would be a lovely thing to see one day you never know we'll we'll see if we can get that that'd be amazing but you know I think it just I think it was watching VHS 94 where it sort of dawned on me okay this would work because I just played. I think I was just starting to play Murder House when I watched it again. So it was, yeah, it's it's crazy how well that would be a good fit. Yeah, well, let's hope because I mean, if it was Volume One, let's hope there's Volume Two and mm. and uh, yeah, I think like and I and that's something that um, you know those Dread XP collection games do very yeah, well they as do. well. Yeah, you you bring together these indie developers under the roof of one kind of especially the uh the third one where it has that very like the thing inspired kind of like oh yeah the hunt one yeah that that is yeah i I really like that that was um i think yeah yeah. i think i mentioned that yeah i mean yeah i mentioned that earlier this year i think when i was sort of going on about like my games of the year so far which yeah they'll change and shift and whatever but i think it having that sort of connective tissue at the middle bit with the sort of outpost thing and the, all these little excerpts there, you know, little weird ideas that don't necessarily fit together if you didn't have that context, but doing it like that means you can just put all these almost like a game jam made into a game, you know, and without going like the extra step of just making, fleshing out each one into a full experience. And it works. I mean, there's there's some crazy stuff in that. I love that about it. Like a haunted PS One. Uh, yeah. Download. Just the the kind of like, uh, you, um, you know, when you're in that, I, I forget the exact setting, but you're you're in that building, kind of going from floor to floor, entering the doorways uh, oh, yeah. to to start whatever game, and the the kind of like room outside of the door that takes you into the game is kind of inspired visually by like whatever's going on in that game you're about to play mm. stuff like that like I'm just I'm all for um, because yeah I mean I have a kid uh, you know I, I just did a piece for a newer issue of Room Work that'll come out about how like I've totally 180'd on mobile gaming because I just simply just don't have the energy or time like you know I still want to play I want to be kicked back in bed you know because it's just I'm exhausted and, uh, uh, dude, I, mean, I feel you I feel you believe me yeah, you know, the case. <laughs> you know. so it's like it's interesting yeah how life experience can kind of guide you in different ways and like if you were to tell me you know 10 years ago that I'd be playing like a lot of stuff on my phone via you know emulator or even like just you know yeah non massacre itself like puppet combo game is on mobile now so um that you would have told me i that would be like a one of the yeah. dominant places i play games i would have just been like man come on like that's <laughs> fucking crazy touch screen like give me a break 
so yeah, it's it's and indie indie gaming is like at the forefront of that. I mean, you've got bigger companies like Nintendo doing whatever they're gonna do, you know, like with their. I can only imagine <laughs> what's going to yeah. happen. That's a big thing too. I think in indie gaming in general, like even somebody like me that is uh, childless and loveless, it's <laughs> the idea that. Oh, come on! Um, we love you. We love I, you. I, I seek out a lot of shorter games. Whether like uh, back in the day when I had an abundance of time before like working in adult life and all the responsibilities that go with that, it's the idea that. I had an infinite amount of time to play games, so why wouldn't I seek out the 70 and 80 hour experiences? Whereas now I seek out more of a quantity, even though I'm still like sort of uh, very much seeking out the most quality of quantity titles, right? So I'm looking for those games that are two to three hours at a time experiences, but which some people view as like, well, it's kind of like that whiny bullshit. Oh, it's a $20 game and it's only two or three hours. But those are the experiences that stand out the most to me. And a lot of the time it ends up being games. I've mentioned it on last week's episode, something like gone home mm. or something like firewatch or even like the binding, uh, uh, what remains of Edith yeah. Finch, these experiences that are five hours or less, four hours or three hours or less murder house, three yeah. hours or less. Yeah. These are experiences that they're not going to last much longer than a film, but they are going to carry the same sort of, weight as a lot of those movies and in this term games right it's this idea that they're chock full of memorable moments rather than what i would attribute to like a 70 hour game there's a certain amount of filler in that 70 hours right it's kind of like okay i'm going to travel to the other side of westeros or whatever in terms of what game i'm playing and so those are the types of experiences that i'm seeking out more the older i get right we do a, a 60 to 90 minute podcast every week and it's like whatever we choose to play or cover rather I always try to look for not just because it fits my schedule but I always try to look for the shorter experiences that are more bite-sized something like this but we never have a uh, there's ne- it's never ne- necessarily like a shorter no. conversation that's something that is the running joke between Neil and I and <laughs> that every week we go do we have enough to talk about this week and then it doesn't matter if it's a two-hour game or a 15-hour game right it's kind of like you get the same amount of conversation out of things for different reasons. And more often than not, I'm more prone to picking something like this. That's three hours or whatever, because it's able to take its limited time frame, but it jam packs so many memorable moments. And of course, this is also a stellar game in its own right, regardless of how long it is. But it just, it's very reassuring that the older I get, even if games are sometimes getting shorter, it's no shortage of memorable experiences. Yes, Matt. It was a long way, long-winded way yeah. of saying that. That comes back to this choice here, you know, in terms of like being a short game that evokes a, a certain era of movies. You know, it's paced like a movie, it's structured like a movie, and therefore it knows it has to fit everything in that. You know, anything else you take away from it is on your own time. You know, and it respects that. You know, it like I said, we are here talking, like you said, we're here talking for this length of time about it, longer than playing the damn game in some cases, but because it's it allows for that, you know, and that's what it takes from film. And you know, when so many games take from film, as I said before, they're not taking the key thing that makes film so enticing and exciting to talk about which is like to have themes and reasons and 
motifs behind the film, you know, things that make it worth talking about. Not that it has some nice shots and, oh, I didn't think that person would die, but they did sort of thing. Yeah, it goes beyond that. It, it's, it does something within its runtime that makes it worthwhile and makes it stick. And, you know, we've talked about several of those with this game. And I yeah. think the precedent was set with, like, uh, Journey, you know, back, like, nine years ago um, in terms of indie games and high impacts, short runtime, and really doing it right, because that was what... You know, that's a two-hour game. It was 10 quid, like that, and I would have paid 40. I would have paid 50 to have that experience because it, the experience in itself was just majestic and unlike anything else I'd ever played and I you know to this day any time I play that game I feel warm and happy and moved by it you know and games like that like Edith Finch as well you know they they are games that despite their short runtime they know exactly how to pace it how to pack it how to do things there's no filler there's no it's fully understanding that look this is it this is everything you know take it and that's it you just don't worry about fucking finding 500 files about the greater world and all the things in it you know, some games do that well to be fair but the bigger a game gets the less there is the kind of structure you need you know, and, and to hit right and yeah, I understand that's for a certain audience now to have a big game or a, a meta game that goes on for a long time and evolves over time but it's nice to have something that really understands that you can just have a story be told and that's it. And anything else to get out of it is of your own making. And that's how it should be. You shouldn't have to just hope that they make more content so you understand more of the world better. You know, it, it has to be, you know, which is ironic saying that about this, where they did make more content about the game to make you understand it better. But that felt like a more deliberate choice rather than just, well, we wanted to push it out for more money. So, yeah, it's the best thing about the indie space is that you have that creative freedom to just do things how you want to do them. Sometimes you have to work with publishers, but when you have publishers out there that will accept you know, some creative freedom, I think it was like Alpurna that also do film stuff, you know, they, they make sure that the vision is there, you know, intact as was. So, you know, you can do both. It's, and I'm glad we're sort of evolving to this point where we can have a game like this from you know, a, you know, a micro studio, effectively. And then we had this whole other thing of the original run of indie developers from a decade ago, like Frictional, who take a look at the things that they did that everyone else copied and they'll do them in their own way you know, they'll make new versions of that idea and explore it in their own fascinating way I mean we said this before Frictional did it with Soma then they did it again with Amnesia Rebirth where they took the original ideas they made and pushed it into new directions and both games have their fans as a result you know and that's really exciting when you think of something like Public Combo when you think of where that you know where that point was where the developer became important and big because of 
a certain game, you know, because we you know like Frictional, for instance, you know, they were famous, they made games before Amnesia, but Amnesia was like the catalyst. And so with this, you know, we are still going to get to that point with Puppet Combo where you will get eventually the game that is like the next step. You know, the thing that really takes it to the next level that plays with the ideas that have already been done. And that's exciting to think of. Yeah. And the easier it gets to develop games, you know, and to sort of evoke certain styles from the past without you know, being just because that's all you can do because that's all that is available to you and it's tough otherwise, the, the greater that you're going to get out of it. I think it, that, that's the greatest thing about any indie game coming out now is that there's so much to lean on. And if you take the right message from it, brilliant. You, you are going to make something special you know, out of it. Yeah, and I think this murder house truly feels like the first kind of like um, hurdle of Papa Combo mm. uh, to jump. Like, and it, and it is for me. It, it is like what you say. It's it's this just you know crystallization of all the elements that I love so much about indie indie games just coming into the sharpest point imaginable and, mm. and getting me right in the feels. well it feels like a fantastic bite-sized version of horror that doesn't leave anything on the table right i think that a lot of the time people have a tendency to associate length with quality whereas with this it's the opposite right it's a shorter length and yet this is such a fantastically refined and terrifying uh introduction to puppet combo and his specific brand of horror and yeah you know it makes me excited to go back and check out his things but at the same time it makes me excited to see how this game getting a multi-console multi-platform release is going to in fact impact him moving forwards right that's something that has i mean i came to it much later than uh, even evan it sounds like came to his games and whatnot but it's exciting to think about the potential that he could have based off of just more exposure. Mm. And how many times do we talk about games or studios that have an abundance of exposure, but you're like, should this really have popped off the way it did? Whereas within the opening moments from that prologue, which is only 10, 15 minutes of gameplay, it feels different and special in a way that I don't know a lot of indie horror is right out the gate in that regard. And uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was happy to have the excuse to uh, not only have Evan on as uh, I've enjoyed his work in uh, Rue Morgue for quite a while, but also just getting to pick his brain about a uh, a game and a developer that is near and dear to his heart and now near and dear to uh, to my heart in many ways. So, Evan, we thank you for uh, your time and uh, coming on to Safe Room to chat Any Anytime. Uh, absolutely a pleasure. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I love what you guys do at the show. I think it's rare that you get um, intellectual, you know, examinations of stuff like uh horror games you know i think it happens enough for movies it happens enough for literature uh, horror you know genre stuff but i think uh this is like a space that's relatively untapped uh and so it's like it's it's awesome to hear you guys pick apart you know stuff and uh yeah uh, neil you know I've, I've read your stuff for a long long time it's what kind of uh part of why i got into doing what i was what i'm doing today you know horror horror and game journalism so uh yeah a little pinch me moment so thank you very much for <laughs> inviting me on the show uh that's, that's a, honestly a very lovely day <laughs> so. 
yeah it's it's uh it's 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 cool like i feel like this is a really cool point in time with indie gaming and uh and horror in the game world because it feels like a transitional period where i I, you know i can't even even just within the sphere of like the the world of puppet combo it's like what's next you know i can't like like i was saying about mobile gaming i can't even imagine five years from now like what i'll be into or what you know so yeah that's it i think at this i think of like dread xp stuff i mean after this has gone out they'll have had their like halloween showcase where they'll show a bunch of new stuff again and there's new blood interactive you know just stuff like dusk and that and there's no way it's just so many great things happening in that space and the best thing about it is the most of it is horror <laughs> it's just it's crazy oh, I think. Yeah. and it's the most inventive stuff I feel you know I mean not to label too much indie stuff in, in one way but you know there, there is a very particular idea of what indie games are you know and it's mostly about feelings you know and things like that which is great you know because there are great games about you know, feelings and dealing with certain you know, lifestyles and thing and you know certain situations, but it's amazing that horror of all things has this really widespread net in indie game terms that isn't there in the higher space. You know, it, it, that's fascinating to me that it's happened like that, and that it's not just one developer, but you know, making like their own studio to make other games happen but uh, a few doing it now that's mad it's honestly mad and it's just the best part of things these days for me is just finding that that's where the exciting stuff is absolutely I feel the same way Jay you you gotta let me know when you play uh, Feed Me Billy you gotta just send me back (laughs) your uh, message and just let me know your thoughts because yeah it's uh I'm excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Whether uh, whether I share my experience in the uh, in the DMs or whether we have you back on again in the future, which would be uh, we would uh, love definitely. I'll uh, I'll let you know my thoughts more. I explore his space, but also just you know appreciate your input on uh, indie horror, whether it be puppet combo or otherwise. So we appreciate you giving us your time and uh, letting us pick your brain. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.